Hello everybody and welcome to podcast number 35. Today I have with me an international comic and compare who has performed all over the UK, South Melbourne, Stockholm, Bahrain, Budapest, Belgrade, Manhattan and participated in pretty much every festival going. He is an actor, scriptwriter, and coach. Welcome Mike Shear. Hello, thank you for joining us. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, you were actually brought up in Toronto and went to Humber College to study comedy writing and performance. Mm-hmm. You went straight in. So what? when did you first become interested in comedy? Well, that was basically because I, long story short, because I couldn't get into the acting school that I wanted to get into. So there was, yeah, so I was basically out of high school and then sort of, you know, not doing anything for a couple of years and I was looking at yeah becoming in like going to a theater school but then when I went to the audition for that it was in Montreal and what I really wanted to do was move to Montreal I think that's what my sort of weird buried end game was but yeah so I was like tried out for this school that was you know national theater school which is insane to hard to get into and I tried very hard but as I was sitting in the sort of waiting room I was me and this guy who I didn't know and I've never met since we were just sort of taking the piss out of everybody and he was in a ballet school and we were like making fun of the ballerinas and stuff and then I just over that period as we were waiting to go in I just started thinking what the fuck like I'm not really that interested in this and then I went into the audition and I just sort of lost yeah, I just was like, I, you know, lost any motivation when they were like, yeah, we want you to be a tree, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, ah, this is not for me. And then I was like, I want to be, do monologues was the thing. I wanted to do funny monologue, like funny and creepy and scary monologues. Um, In the vein of like this guy, Daniel McIver, who we have back home, which is, I mean, it's a crime that he's not, you know, worldwide, but he was this amazing guy from Toronto who was uh, revolutionary with like his one man shows and stuff. And that was, yeah, I wanted to do that basically. And then uh, I saw this Humber program. They had just started it. This was before, you know, sort of comedy schools became a thing. Um, And they were just starting it. It was the very first year of it. And they had a bunch of things. I wanted to do writing and performing and they had both of that on there. And then stand-up was on there and I was sort of like, you know, uh, I had no interest in stand-up at all, at all, like (laughs) at all. And in fact, me and my friends, we, I think around then we used to go in Toronto to uh, a couple of different shows and heckle if we got free, because sometimes you get free tickets for stuff and we would go and we'd always heckle and ruin the show and then that was it. So we thought it was quite stupid and yeah. And then I was like, I'll just do that and whatever. It's no biggie. And it ended up taking over my entire life. <laughs> Here we are, obviously. So, yeah, so, so that was it. It was, it was a pretty ramshackle school. I've heard it's gotten a lot better, but it wasn't very good then. I'll just say that because it was very disorganized and they did, so had no funding. Sometimes we'd be doing classes in the parking lot because we didn't even have a classroom. and now I think they have their own building and everything but anyway yeah so when you were younger then wanting to go to drama um school was that did you did you belong to drama clubs and things like that yeah so my dad was an actor 
Um, and then we had like a community theater thing in our area in Toronto where I grew up and my sister was doing it. Um, and you know, she's older. So you sort of have that thing where you want to do everything your older thing person's doing, particularly me at that age, because, you know, I was so attention hungry all the time. So it was like, you know, I want to be the, you know, I want people to go, the, the family to go and see me do shit. You know what I mean? And then there was like a gap like someone had dropped out of the year and then they brought me in and I was like, I don't even know, like seven or something like young, proper young. And then started doing it. And I was doing it in school as well, where I'd be doing plays there. And then I was always like trying to improvise bits and get laughs, you know, all that. So wonderful. Um, so then what brought you over to the UK? Um, my family is all from here. All right. So yeah, so my um, parents are both English, and so I had citizenship for ages. Um, and then, yeah, basically, my sister had moved over here in, well, I don't know, the mid-2000s, and then my mother moved over a few years later. And then I was in Australia, and I was with uh, my girlfriend at the time, we didn't want, we had lived in Toronto and we lived in Melbourne and I didn't want, we didn't want to be in either place really. So we were like, let's have a pun come here. And I had been doing the, uh, meeting a lot of British comics in Australia who, and it just sounded great. And I came over actually to visit my mum in like 07. And I did one set at the comedy store in Manchester that beat the gong, beat the frog mm -hmm. and killed and won the whole thing. And I was like, bong, I got like done. I'm just going to move here and, and that'll be it. And um, that didn't happen, but yeah. <laughs> Life is more complex than that. But yeah, I was, I, so then after that, I was like, yeah, we're moving there. And then we moved to Manchester in 2010 or nine or something. And so, but you have had a bit of an acting career as well as comedy. And mm. I understand that you're, uh, there was something I read where it says your good improv skills have served you well. Do you think that improv and comedy are essential to work well together? Improv and comedy, essential to work together. Um, sorry, do you mean like stand-up? Stand-up. In, in your stand-up, how much improv do you actually bring in? Oh, me personally, a lot. There's a lot. Um, I think, you know, this, because I, I you know, I, I when I first started you know, I've been doing, I've, I started stand-up a long time ago, but I've been erstwhile, as you can, you know, as the saying goes, like, so I, I've come and gone. So if you compress all those years, I was thinking about this the other day, you probably get like 10 solid years, maybe. But within all that time, you know, I used to do improv, I used to do sketches, uh, but I also used to MC a lot because I used to run my own stuff a lot. So I would run my own gigs a lot and I would MC those. And then it just sort of over time became my pedigree was, you know, and, and I am to this day, I think a better MC than I am an act, but I, I feel the act is more valuable. You know, it's more meaty to me. And also as my character goes, is if I'm bad at something, I get obsessed with it. And then I keep trying to crack it, which I've been doing with stand up for a long time, trying to crack it. But um, yeah. So for me, like improv is, is where, yeah, that's, that's where I, I like, sh I don't know, shine, I'm going to say, but for lack of a better word, just because the sun's shining. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, the improv thing is my edge for sure. That's because like, I, I, I don't have a good memory either. So I, if I, you know, I can't, I, I always struggle to like do the rapid fire joke thing, you know, the written rapid fire jokes. So I like to now try to lean into that and just live in the spaces between jokes and all that kind of stuff and vibe off people and, you know, and that, and that, and that's, th I think for an audience, not necessarily with me particularly, but I think that's quite thrilling when they, when they know something's in the present moment and you're there and it's, you know, it's live, proper live, won't be repeated, that kind of thing. But comedy and writing isn't your only thing, is it? Because you actually went off to Morley College to study jazz harmony. Yeah. What did you, what did you <laughs> <laughs> And you actually are a bass guitar player. I am indeed, yeah. And not, right you played in a band called Rags Rudy. I, yeah, currently as well, yeah, Rudy. Um, yeah, are you starting that up again? Because it was just like, or has it just been going all the way through? Because this isn't just like, oh, a little band in the pub. You've been playing like festival size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huge. Yeah, so I, I was a musician before everything. So I started playing music when I was 14 or 15, started playing the bass. And that's what I kind of did all through high school. That's how I made, you know, my tribe and everything was all music. Um, and yeah, so I when I moved here to London, I met these guys. Yeah, I met these guys who were, who had just who were they they were all from like Cockney guys from East End, uh, East London, like Leighton Stone and those bits. And um, they needed a bass player. And I was here to do stand up, obviously, and to sort of, you know, do all this. But I was like, I was at a party and I overheard them talking. They needed a bass player. And I was like, oh, shit, I play bass. And they were like, oh, yeah. Do you want to come to a practice that was at a studio near my house? And I was like, yeah, sure. And they were like, I was like, I don't have a bass, though. And they brought one. Anyway, we ended up hitting it off amazingly well, you know, with taste and everything like that. And then I was going to do the Edinburgh Fringe in uh, 2013, I think. And I had said to them, come up. I was going for the month, but I was like, come up and I'll see if we, I can book us some gigs during the festival. Um, this is a long story, but I won't go into it too much. But basically what happened was they came up, they drove up, stayed up for like three days. And we played on the, we ended up playing on the street um, because the first day we were there, I found out that it wasn't illegal to busk it wasn't it was legal in most parts like you couldn't you couldn't stop people from busking at that time so we we set up everything on the street and we we're doing these street shows and we completely disrupted everything because everyone instead of going to like the guild like we were outside the gilded balloon and uh, the pleasance uh -huh. on that little road there and and i'm not even joking actually i have still photos and it was insane um we blocked off that whole road with people who were like, instead of paying, you know, the exorbitant fees to go into the beer gardens of this and this, uh, they were like going to the shops, getting cans and hanging out on the street with us. And we were basically playing the same five songs over and over again, because we just had acoustic stuff. And that was all we could really do with the acoustic things. And it got bigger and bigger and the crowds got insane. It was just so funny. And we're just playing over and over and over again, you know, <laughs> these five songs and everyone was going mad. But it's really, really good. I mean, I, I, for this, I actually went onto YouTube and started listening to one. And then I ended up listening to them all. I mean, oh, right. it was really good, really good. I thought, oh, that, 
And it just looked, I just thought, I've, one day we will come and see you. I'll grab Graham and we'll go and see you. Yeah, we, the, wicked. We're we, right now, so we have, we just recorded um, uh, eight new, or eight or nine new tunes that we're now mixing. Uh, and we're going to be releasing in like EPs throughout the year. But yeah, we've, I mean, we've played festivals all over the UK. We've been to Croatia a couple of times. Um, it really after that edinburgh we were like oh people actually love us because we kept getting invited to go and play other things gilded balloon actually someone came up to us and was like look you know you're taking all our customers so why don't you just come and play in our garden <laughs> and so you know it was this kind of thing so after that we were like we can actually yeah make a go of this so it's a lot of fun yeah and the jazz thing going back to that i actually quit stand up properly in uh 15 or 16 I was like I need to drop this thing because I was going mad um and I was working as a comic and stuff and and all this but it was like the life was anyway that's a long long story but I was like yeah I was like I need to take a step away from this and then I did my plan b which was to be a session <laughs> jazz basis <laughs> well, why not? that's how hopeless I am yeah as well as all of that, you're actually a professional script reader and writer. Yes. And um, currently I'm running online courses for anyone yeah. out there who may be listening and thinking, I'd really like to write. <laughs> um, um, so what could they achieve by coming to one of your courses? This is your opportunity to sell why people should sign <laughs> up for you. Well, Graham's been on, uh, Graham's been on one. Um, look, it's, it's like... Um, the, the workshop that Graham did and the workshop that I'm doing regularly is based on everything I see people doing wrong and everything that I've done wrong, um, which are blockages. It's a lot of blockages we have that stop us from expressing the stories that are inside us. Um, and it's about addressing all those common blockages. And it's, it's amazing how it's one of those things where, you know, it's like the forest for the trees. Once you sort of, snap your head into the perspective of uh oh this is important to have this is important to have this is important to have you know it's a game changer and you're sort of like well why didn't I think of that before so you're basically you know and, and it's about it's about really freeing up the individual to access their authenticity and give you the tools um I'm not a very good salesperson <laughs> but it's like uh it, you know it's about giving you the tools so that you can access you know your truth and really communicate what is it is inside of you and what you want to get out without you know stressing about technique and all that stuff because I you know I give you all that because yeah. Graham, Graham came off he was so annoying I gotta finish this now I gotta finish it we're gonna do this we're gonna do this we gotta do it like this and he was so um enthused so yeah. whatever you did he, he came off and he was like right this is it so uh and and I believe he then sent it all to you again just because he... <laughs> yeah I mean that's the thing though that the goal on my end is is exactly that it's to get you excited that's why you call it like a script coach right because you're, you're you're being like you can do this actually you can you have everything already you just aren't don't know the language or you don't know the tool you know you don't know what the tools are called and I think that's true, you know, with loads of stuff um, is like, you have to know what the, you have to know the language of the thing that you're doing and you have to know what things are called, right? But it's in you anyway. But, so that's really good for the script and you've written stuff and you've got videos online of things that you've written and done, but you 
are also the I'm So High Kid in a club yeah. movie. <laughs> Harold and Kuba get the munchies. I mean, wow. <laughs> You've seen it. And I've seen, I've seen the snippet and Craig's seen the film loads of times. Yeah, classic <laughs> film. So that was all, all the bit parts in that movie, all the funny characters, they're all comedians in, from Toronto. All right. So in my city where I'm from, they film, I mean, I, I haven't lived there obviously in a long time, but I think it's still the scenario. But a lot of things are shot there when they don't have, you know, when they're trying to save money. Like American things, sorry, I should, I should say. So a lot of American projects, when they want to make them on the cheap, they would go there because the tax thing is not a big problem, et cetera. Uh -huh. So, you know, one of the funny things about being from Toronto is like, you know, particularly when you're on a plane or something and you're watching some, you know, kind of mediocre film, you'll be like, oh shit, that's, you know, that's University Avenue, you know, <laughs> you, know you know where everywhere is. Uh, Avenue, is it University Avenue? See, that's a long time there. Anyway, yeah. So that was that case. But yeah, I just auditioned and got it. It wasn't, it's not a particular story. I just have you ever actually had a White Castle burger? Because I understand Canada didn't have White Castle. No. In there, no. No, I haven't. And did you manage to keep, get one of their collectible mugs? That apparently they, they're very high, um, highly sought after now, collectible cups that were given out when they're originally done. No, they didn't. No, I mean, at, at, at that time, that was like 2003-ish, I think that we shot that. And, you know, no one was, it, it, no, they didn't know how the film was going to do. It wasn't, you know, the hype, there was no hype. Yeah. It was these two young guys who actually have gone on, I'm not sure if it was both of them, but they've gone on to do uh, Cobra Kai. One of them has, at least I know. And they were just these young writers who, who managed to get this like weird stoner comedy uh, green lit. And, you know, no one was anybody. Okay. They had like one star, which was the guy from Oz. Um... I don't know his name, but he was, they wanted John Goodman to play that role, I think. But anyway, yeah, so it was just a bunch of, you know, and then they came to Toronto, they paid, you know, all us comedians very little money to appear in the film. And then it just so happened that my part became quite well known. Even when I watched it in the cinema, it got um, applause. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was the only part that got applause. <laughs> so um, you support the Blue Jays. Do you, do, I think... Blue Jays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a hat here, actually. I have a Blue Jays hat. So do yeah. you actually play baseball as well, or did you play baseball? Um, I try... Yeah, I played a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible athlete. I've always been a really bad athlete. But for me, like, the Blue Jays thing is, is kind of gone into nostalgia territory. Um, because I haven't lived in Canada or, like, for a long time, I like to watch... You know, when the pandemic, when the pandemic, when the pandemic started, uh, I was watching, I was getting obsessive because I was feeling so lost, you know, like and locked off from the world and locked off from my identity. Because obviously, you know, everything we do going out at night, performing, actualizing yourself in these ways was, you know, gone. And at that phase, at that stage in the game, we were completely you know law at sea at least I was so I was like obsessing over baseball a lot then but it, I didn't play so much when I was a kid I played a bit I was more into basketball but again uh bad <laughs> it wasn't until I started playing music that I was like okay I can actually garner respect from my peers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with all your writing and experience are you likely to be writing a cult 
film in the near future? Or a which film? A cult, some form of cult movie, or would you do a comedy oh. movie, or what sort of movie do you think you would do? Um, I have uh, I have a sh- couple of shorts that I would like to do uh, that are comedy. I think they're comedies. But then I'm working actually uh, uh, on a feature for somebody, but it's just like a pitch. But it's like a kind of, it's a period drama from like 99, or sorry, ni- 1991, like around the time of the recession. Uh-huh. And it's based on a true story that my godfather hooks me up with this guy who told me this true story. And I'm trying to dramatize it as like an exercise um, and doing a treatment of that. So I'm working on that at the moment. And then I've got another feature that's kind of conceptual that I've been, I'm really playing with, toying with. Um, that's in that folder up there. But yeah, that's like a um, thriller. So lo- lots of work still to do. Lots Graham- of stuff going on. <laughs> lots of stuff. Graham, is there anything you'd like to ask Mike? I was going to say on on the course, it was I was so enthused. One of the things I noticed was it was the actual uh, structure from the course on how to develop. And as you went through from things which I thought were blocks became actually opportunities to actually finish it um, was something that I was like, you know, wanted to do. You've given me all the information I need. It's time to finish. And, okay. you know, I said to, I said to Elaine, look, I can't stop. I've got to finish this now. Nice. <laughs> well, a big um, thing, I think, because we have problems finishing things in general, all of us, maybe, maybe yeah. you don't, you, you're, you, you don't find, I mean, you, you, you seem to approach your work with a lot of enthusiasm, which is amazing, um, which is great. Um, but I think a lot of people struggle to finish things um so i try in the course to place a big you know to to demystify the endings and resolutions mm-hmm. in in and that's uh i was actually going to do originally i, I was going to do a whole course about endings but then i decided you know this thing sort of fell together but yeah endings once you sort of understand it and you see the equation of how to make an ending you know it's a little less intimidating isn't it you know you can yeah, yeah, yeah. dive in um and I think, uh, yeah, I think in general, as comedians, this is like we have, as people who practice stand-up, we have an advantage. Oh, I don't know if I said this on the course, but I'm, I think we have an advantage over all other forms of storytellers because we have an innate understanding, well, not innate, but we learn how to appreciate engagement with uh, audiences and, um, you know, and being economical and being clear. Mm-hmm. And I think those are, those are tools that we, you know, it's, it's, it's do or die with stand-up. You have to have those skills or, you, you know, you sink. So if anyone is out there at the moment and they say, right, I'm going to go and sign up to one of his courses, how do they get hold of you? Uh, we'll just go on my website, mikeshear.net uh, backslash workshops is the, the page. Brilliant. Or just go to the whole website. I've got a stand-up album on there as well and stuff. Actually, I just got a job as a um, teaching stand-up from May at City Lit, uh, City Academy. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That'll be, yeah, that'll be interesting. That'll be really good, yeah. Because so, that's one of their modules now, isn't it? That's a new thing I think they've brought into yeah, the, the courses. The, com- the guy was telling me the comedy department is, ex- is in- exploding, like, because the so many people are... are so there's like a sitcom one that I may be I may be doing as well, and then the 
stand-up one. But yeah, there's a lot of interest in, in comedy now. Brilliant. Excellent. Mike, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today and I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you for having me. Lovely. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Bye. Bye.